the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we looked at pre-budget submissions from the Tourism Ministry and the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. In the first half of the show, you'll hear from Seamus Coffey of the Fiscal Advisory Council on why he's not in favour of the government's plan to refund water charges and the threat posed by Brexit. Cliff Taylor, meanwhile, will give us his assessment of what Pascal Donoghue might announce in his first budget. Later in the show, you'll hear from Owen O'Mara Walsh and Mark Paul of the Irish Times on calls from the Tourism Ministry for extra spending by the state on visitor attractions over the next 10 years. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Okay, now Seamus Coffey uh, joins us by phone. Seamus, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, can I just ask you about Brexit to begin with? You, you mentioned during the week that uh, the council's view is that it might actually be harsher than expected. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I suppose the key issue is that we, we don't know what impact it'll have on the Irish economy. Um, if we look at what the Department of Finance are forecasting at the moment, um, at least they are factoring a, a hard Brexit, that the, the UK doesn't reach a deal with the EU, uh, and that, in a sense, trade restrictions could be placed between Ireland and the UK, and equally uh, other sort of restrictions and travel between the, the two jurisdictions. Uh, so that is factored in, but we really don't know what impact that could have on the Irish economy. Uh, it could have a long-run effect that would drag down growth rates, drag down potential growth rates, and maybe drag down government revenue. Uh, so while, yes, a hard Brexit has been factored in, um, if we look at the, the nature of the interaction between the two economies, it could actually quite have a detrimental effect on Ireland. Yes, it will be very concentrated in those sectors that trade um, to a large degree with the UK, uh, but it is a risk that if there is a hard Brexit with no deal struck, uh, it could have a very detrimental effect on the Irish economy. Now, in saying that, to be fair, the forecasts do factor in a hard Brexit. So if a deal is reached and if the trade restrictions aren't as hard and it is what we might call a, a soft Brexit, maybe the impact won't be uh, as severe. But at the moment, it doesn't look like a deal will be struck. And if it is a hard Brexit, it could be worse than it's currently built into the forecast. Yeah. Can you just give our listeners maybe some sense between what the difference might be for the Irish economy if it's a soft or hard Brexit? Yeah, are there some numbers we can put on this? Not really, you know. Like we can look at different sectors that engage in a large amount of their trade with the UK. So, for example, obviously the agri-food and, and uh, the dairy sector are, are heavily linked to UK trade. Um, and they're probably suffering at the moment because of the, the impact of the, the exchange rate, the fact that sterling is being depreciated so much. But equally, of course, like these industries are subject to, to global forces. And in dairy at the moment, while the sterling exchange rate might be going in their direction, the world price of milk and the world price of dairy prices are. Um, so with milk at 34 cents a litre for more suppliers in Ireland, they're not feeling too much pain at the moment. But if everything begins to work against them, if sterling is going against you, if the world price is going against you, well, then you could have um, more serious impacts. So it is, it's not a case that Brexit defines everything. Uh, we are a trading economy with the world and global forces are as important. But just given the proximity, the closeness and the amount of trade we do with the UK, it is quite important. Um, but I think the key is that it's very hard to put numbers on it. Uh, and that's sort of the, the issue that we're raising, that it could actually be greater than it's currently built into the, the growth forecast being used by the government to formulate the upcoming budget. Yeah, Cliff Taylor, tell us about that growth fa- forecast that's uh, currently being built into the budget. Well, the government is hoping for a growth of 3 3.5% next year. Uh, as as Seamus said, there has been uh, growth forecasts have been trimmed because of Brexit. 
the department is assuming uh, that, you know, that, that there could be a loss of growth. percent is still very strong. It is indeed, let's, yeah. Let's be honest about it. It is, it, yeah. During the worst of the recession, we would have taken, you know, you would have given your left arm for that kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. And, and if you look at the growth forecasts going forward for the, for the years ahead, there's an expectation that growth will remain around the 3% level, maybe a bit, a bit lower uh, for a few years after that. And it kind of is essential that that happens to keep the, the budget numbers in check, if you like, because growth of 3% does create extra tax revenue. Uh, it does take a bit of mm. the pressure off, off spending. So it's what kind of makes the budget numbers add up for the next few years. And the worry, I suppose, as, as, as Seamus is saying, is that Brexit takes a, gives us a harder knock, I suppose, um, than, than, than we expect. Uh, growth falls back maybe towards 1.5%, 2%, and the numbers start to, start to go a bit off track. It, it's really so hard to know because the indications coming from Britain are that they haven't even made up their own mind uh, what they're looking for. You know, over the summer there's been... It's difficult of, to decipher where they're going with Over this. the summer there have been indications that maybe it might be a bit softer, there might be a transition period, it mightn't be so bad. And then today we see the leak, the leak of this immigration paper, migration paper, which is, which is particularly hard line. Uh, and which appears to blow the whole idea of a transition period out of the water mm. completely. So, you know, who and recently, knows where well, this is going to go? Some, something like 100 foreign nationals were served with deportation no, notices recently. They were. And it turned out some of them were in, were in error. Uh, there seems to be confusion in Britain over, you know, exactly how, how any new new rules might be applied. Or, uh, but, but, you know, just look on Twitter. Uh, look at the reaction today to, you know, hundreds of people in Britain who have, you know, who are foreign nationals or who, who are married to foreign nationals huge uncertainty, European nationals, huge uncertainty as to you know what their future is going to be, their long-term future is going to be in Britain. Are they going to fit into whatever quotas are going to put in place? Are they sufficiently high-skilled? Uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's a mess. It, yeah. it's, it's a mess. And Cliff, we had exchequer returns uh, this week, which showed that while we're ahead of last year in terms of our tax take, yeah. we're 209 million behind yeah. the target that was set by the Department of Finance. And this is at a time when employment levels are rising significantly, unemployment down to, what, 6.3% now? Yeah. I think it's a new nine-year low. It's very hard to decipher precisely what's going on. Have you been able to figure out uh, as yet what's going on? And, and you know, what does that tell us about these growth forecasts uh, that the department and, you know, various economists give us? Yeah, tax, tax, tax is hard to forecast because there's, there's so much playing into it. And it does appear that perhaps the department... Uh, didn't get some of its numbers right at the got some uh, at the start of the year when it was making its you know its predictions for the year. So I mean, the good side is taxes are running significantly ahead of uh, of last year's level, but there are pluses and minuses in that. And as you say, the overall picture is still a couple of hundred million behind. That's not a loss in the in the greater scheme of things. But where it is different from the last few years is that you know at this time of the last in in the last few years there have been signs of taxes running ahead of target. Mm. Uh, there have been things that have given the government a little more leeway come budget day, particularly uh, great strength in corporation tax revenue. Now, as the fiscal advisory council, you know the point they make in their report is those overruns in, in taxes, uh, those strong receipts were used to add bits to spending in each of the last two years. And had that not been done, we, we would have been in a stronger financial position now. Borrowing would be eliminated. We might face a slightly easier picture over the EU rules. Uh, so, you know, 
there are pluses and minuses to this. There's always pressure on government to spend more money. Yeah, uh, sure. and, and that pressure is going to be coming up again this year. But the more you do that, the, the more you push out meeting your EU targets, the more you push out the day when borrowing is actually eliminated. Yeah, and on that point, actually, Seamus, bring you in here now. Uh, let's talk about housing because everybody's talking about housing at the minute. It's, it's a big crisis uh, facing the economy and it's something that the government is very focused on trying to deal with. Um, you've said that if the government wants to provide for more social housing, then uh, it needs to look at transferring spending resources from elsewhere or it needs to look at raising additional funds from tax revenue, so putting taxes up, certain taxes at least, uh, which isn't going to be popular with taxpayers, is it? Yeah, I don't think it is, but if we have priorities that we wish to address, uh, we have to find the resources to do so. Uh, as Cliff says, like we're continuing to run a, a budget deficit, and in the last number of years, the rate of progress that, that has been closed uh, has slowed. Uh, so like to leave ourselves in a stronger position for maybe clouds in the horizon like Brexit, we should be putting the public finances on as sound as footing as possible. That doesn't mean you ignore things uh, like housing. If it's felt to be such a priority that more resources have to be devoted to it, well, they should be found, and they can be found through uh, increasing taxes or from transferring spending from elsewhere. Uh, I don't think we're quite in the position to uh, go back to borrowing money um, and trying to solve problems through that. Like As a result of the, the crisis for the last number of years, we have a, a national debt of $200 billion. Uh, Well, at the moment, the cost of that might be uh, low due to very low interest rates. We can't expect those to continue forever. Mm. Mind uh, you, we so did we get over three billion, didn't we, from AIB from the park privatisation of AIB recently? And a lot of people are wondering why some of that money isn't being put to use to solve the housing crisis. Well, they would they would offer you money on a, on a once-off basis. Uh, so, like, do we think that capital spending is something that should only happen when when we sell a bit of the banks, and that when we don't have money coming in from selling financial assets, that we don't do capital spending? Then you get very lumpy and very occasional instances of, of capital spending taking place. Like capital spending is something the government should be doing on an ongoing basis. We should have a large envelope of capital spending uh, where if we want to prioritise within that between transport, health, education, housing, etc., the money is available. What happened during the crisis is that capital spending was cut by almost 70%. Um, what the government has set out now is a plan to try and redress some of that. Uh, and between now and 2021, it looks like capital spending is almost going to double. Um, so most of the, the cuts introduced during the crisis uh, will, be, will be turned around. But it doesn't happen immediately. Uh, because of the position we find ourselves in. So while capital spending was around $4 billion, uh, in 2016, it looks like it'll be close to $8 billion by 2021. And that's $8 billion a year. Um, so the money is available and the resources are available over the, over the coming years to address some of these problems. But if we feel that something like housing needs money put into it now, uh, we should go about finding that. Uh, and any thoughts, any thoughts on which um, you know, tax categories should be increased? Oh, well, from a fiscal council perspective, um, we'd be agnostic in terms of the measures introduced. Uh, we'd be looking at the overall impact of the, the package in, introduced by the, the government. So, like, at present, it looks like the government will have an impact of an extra $1.7 billion on the economy next year. Now, a lot of that has been uh, devoted already through demographics and decisions that have been made. But if the government wish to go beyond that, um, they can do so by uh, raising taxes. And there's a, a broad range of tax there available. We're not going to fall down on one or the other. Uh, it's up to the government to decide where the resources should come from. By the way, Seamus, uh, talk today of the government uh, announcing in the budget the refunds for uh, water charges and that the cheques will be sent out by the end of the year and so forth. Uh, where, where does the uh, Fiscal Advisory Council stand on that? Do you think that's yeah, a good course, idea? The budget 2017 was due to be announced uh, last October, but since then we've had a lot of changes and we'd have um, addressed issues during the week in our pre-budget statement that there shouldn't be a further relaxation of uh, fiscal policy in 2017. It looks now that the repayment of water charges will be such a relaxation. Uh, and when it comes to 
the, the fiscal framework, the fiscal rules we have, it looks like they'll be breached again in 2017. And in fact, we're warning that there's a risk of a significant deviation uh, across 2016 and 2017. And um, these payments of repayments of water charges, unless they're funded by additional revenues elsewhere, uh, are likely to exacerbate that risk. Um, so, like, in terms of the overall scheme, uh, it looks like it, it's pushing us towards the, the edge of what's allowed under the rules. And we have to see what fully happens on budget day. Uh, but we've already warned that there shouldn't be any further relaxation for 2017, which is repayment of water charges appears to be. Yeah, I think they've said or they've flagged that it will come from underspending in other uh, departments, uh, presumably on the capital But there's other side. things that are supposed to come from underspending in other departments. They've already had the, Indeed. the public sector pay deal where they brought forward certain pay rights to April of this year. We were told that that was going to be funded by uh, underspending in a range of departments. It looks like this money has been spent a number of times. Yeah. And in terms of the rainy day fund, Michael Noonan had talked about a billion a year. Pascal Donoghue has signalled it'll be 500 million a year. What's the uh, Fiscal Advisory Council's view on that? Or do we need one? A lot of people think we don't need one. Yeah, how this thing is supposed to work. I suppose the key thing from our perspective is that we should have a fiscal policy that enables prudent economic and budgetary management. Now, a rainy day fund could help for that. It could offer what we might term a a counter-cyclical buffer where you put money into a fund when the economy is performing strongly and then you have those resources available to spend into the economy maybe when some stimulus is needed. But at present, we've no details about how that would work. As you say, the proposed contributions have been cut to half a billion. It looks like it's half a billion every year from 2019 to 2021, and then the contributions seem to stop. They get a fund of one and a half billion, which in the scale of the Irish economy isn't that significant, and it doesn't offer any counter-cyclical uh, components. So mm. like, we'd like to see much more detail uh, on what it is this rainy day fund actually is. Well, then would it be better off spending that one and a half billion on housing? Would that be a more productive well, use of the capital? Already, the resources there, like as we said, uh, even with the proposals for the rainy day fund, they're hoping to double, almost double capital spending uh, out to 2021. Um, I think that the rainy day fund is somewhat separate. It's looking at uh, how you might offer some counter-cyclic element, leaning against the wind when the economy is performing well, maybe take some money out, but the proposal at present doesn't do that. Uh, yeah. Like the Once the deficit is closed, uh, there is plenty of resources there to devote to certain priorities. Um, so they are going to double capital spending while having this plan to contribute to the rainy day funds. I don't think one is taken from the other. Okay. Cliff, let's maybe just talk about the budget. It's going to be announced on uh, October 10th. Uh, we know that really the, the effective wriggle room on the day in terms of new measures that he might announce is, is somewhere of the order of 300 million. You might tell us about whether um, that's going to be higher or lower when he comes to actually stand up and, and make a speech. But what should we expect in terms of Brexit and in terms of housing? Because they're probably the two big burning issues of the day. Well, traditionally, a few bob is, is is indeed found behind the couch late in the day. So I think the Fiscal Council was saying there might be 500 million of wriggle room. You know, maybe that'll increase by another couple of hundred million on budget day itself. And then there's no doubt that there will be some tax raising measures in the budget, even though it's, it's I think, going to be difficult to get political support for anything, you know, hugely significant. So no doubt we'll see uh, money raised on uh, on tobacco again. It's kind of Diesel. the old favourite. Diesel is a possibility, a bit tricky in the context of, of Brexit and the pressure on the haulage sector and the pressure on business, but it, it could indeed happen. Uh, there is this talk of the P, of a changes to the PAYE credit, which would hit higher earners. Again, it's kind of a complicated and messy thing to do, uh, but it would raise a significant amount of money. So there are options to raise... I suppose enough money to you know to do to do a few things, uh, even even though not enough, I think, to make any kind of significant difference in people's pockets at the end of the day, because there's going to be, I think, gives gives and takes 
uh, and we're not going to be back to the days of kind of getting you know really big uh, budget uh, budget changes in, in in our pockets. In terms of the thing you the things you mentioned, uh, housing perhaps more likely to be addressed via the uh, government capital plan, which is going to be published around budget time. Uh, there's no doubt that they're you know the government is desperately looking at ways to try and accelerate uh, what can be done. Uh, interesting, I think that uh, it's the government appears to have come out against the idea of tax reliefs for builders. It appears to come out against the idea of a VAT cut uh, on the building of new homes. Uh, you know, will there be incentives? Will there be changes for 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 landlords? You know, there may be maybe things done there at the margin. Something on stamp duty, perhaps. Yeah, could it could could happen? Uh, but I think, as everyone now agrees, that. The big issue is supply and uh, mm. getting housing supply on stream. Just takes it, it just it just takes a period of years, yeah. and and in terms of the short term things you can do, it, it's 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 limited. And what about Brexit? Because uh, the tourists, uh, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation, are calling for a, a Brexit fighting fund, and I think other yeah. sectors are, are seeking similar measures well, as well. Well, there's another thing that could be looked at in budget in budget terms, I suppose, is the nine percent, <laughs> the nine percent uh, rate on the tourist industry, from which uh, newspapers are, are are also a beneficiary. Perhaps in the context of Brexit, more likely that that will be left uh, will be left. But you talk about a Brexit fighting fund, but you know, what exactly? What is that going to mean? Uh, there is certainly scope, to, you know, given clearance from Brussels uh, to help companies to invest in increasing their productive mm. capacity, to help them target new markets outside Britain. But, you know, that's all kind of short term stuff or mm. sorry, long term stuff, rather. You know, you don't move your business, your export business from Britain to Germany or France in, in, in the period of years. Uh, difficult, I think, to, you know, to, to offer direct compensation to to companies in terms of losses they, they might uh they might suffer from a sterling exchange rate, which is the first, the first where first place people are going to be hit. So you know, it is difficult for the government to uh, to actually do things to to uh, to get ready for Brexit, mm. if you like, in this budget. I think the one thing they that they can do, which is the thing the Fiscal Advisory Council have said, is they can leave enough wriggle room so that if it does get nasty in the next couple of years. We're not back to looking at uh, spending cuts and tax increases at precisely the time the economy is slowing down. That's the last thing we want to do. So, you know, if we really want to prepare for a hard Brexit, don't go mad in this budget. Do the best in terms of structural measures that you can, but leave some wriggle room for the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Seamus Coffey, just uh, on that point, if you like, we have a new Taoiseach and Leo Varadkar, a new Minister for Finance in Pascal Donoghue. We have challenges. There's no question about that. We've still got a high level of indebtedness, even though the economy is obviously in recovery mode. Are you satisfied um, that the the government has taken a sufficiently prudent view of the national finances? I think if you look at the the progress over the the last number of years, you have to say, yes, the progress has been substantial. Like when the deficit reached a peak in 2009, it was running at 15, 16, 17% of national income. Uh, almost an unprecedented deficit uh, that's been closed successfully. Uh, we, we hit below the 3% limits uh, in 2015. Now, OK, since then, you could argue that progress has slowed. And as Cliff mentioned earlier, a lot of the, the re- revenue and positive surprises, uh, sort of the wind in our back that we felt, have been used to increase spending. Uh, but I suppose after the period we went through, um, there was always going to be some relaxation. But again, as Cliff says, like there are dangers on the horizon. It's not plain sailing. You have issues with the UK and Brexit. We're not quite sure what the, the Trump administration are going to achieve in tax, particularly in relation to corporation tax, if they'll achieve anything that could affect Ireland. Uh, and equally, of course, the Irish economy is performing quite well at the moment. Um, and all those sort of point in the, in the same direction. 
that the economy doesn't need fiscal stimulus at the moment, that if we do have resources, we should be putting them in reserve for when we actually do need them, that there is a downturn driven either by domestic or, or external factors, that we have the resource to deal with them. Now, I think we were moving in that direction um, under the, the, the previous Minister of Finance, like even the, the talk of a rainy day fund suggested that there was some prudence there. Now, we weren't quite sure how it was going to work out, but at least it was getting those sort of things on the agenda. Yes, we have a new Taoiseach. Yes, we have a new Minister for Finance. So we'll be watching the fiscal council is what they do with their first budget. They'll be making the right noises and issuing the, the right sort of statements as for their time in office. But now we get to see what their actions are and we see uh, um, what they're actually intending to do. All right, well, we'll see what he announces when Pascal Donoghue steps up on October 10th to deliver his first budget as Minister for Finance. My thanks to Cliff Taylor and Seamus Coffey. Now we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be talking about the Irish Tourist Industry Confederation's pre-budget submission. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, this week, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation issued its pre-budget submission. It's calling for 600 million euro to be spent by the state over the next decade on visitor attractions. Joining me to discuss this and other tourism matters are Ona Mara Walsh, Chief Executive of ATIC and Mark Paul, Business Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times. Mark Paul, just give us a, a flavour for what ITIC would like to see uh, well, the, the government doing in terms of the next budget. Well, they want investment in the tourism industry. I mean, ITIC and, and the tourism industry has long complained that the industry uh, doesn't get the same attention that, that it deserves on the, on the basis of its economic size. I mean, there's 230,000 people employed in it. Um, and at the moment, under the state's um, uh, uh, capital plan, there's about 106 million euros over six year period set aside for investment in, in tourism and uh, in, in, you know, in tourism product and, and, and in tourism infrastructure. And ITIC uh, and the tourism industry uh, as a whole has argued that's wholly inadequate as well as say for tourism's needs. So what uh, it, ITIC made three calls or recommendations, if you like, in its pre-budget submission. One is to maintain the 9% VAT rate. The second one was for a 20 million euro um, fund to, to, to uh, sort of a Brexit fighting fund. Um, and then the third one was um, they want an allocation of 60 million euros um, per annum uh, over the 10 years of the state's next capital plan. So that's a total of 600 million euros um, to be invested in tourism products because there is a perception with the Irish tourism industry and it's been around for a long time and um, that whilst there's plenty to see in Ireland, there, uh, we could do a little bit more to do when it comes to tourism. We have, um, we have you know, fantastic hotels, we have fantastic scenery and we do have a lot of things to do but the country is short on uh, uh, tourism products and, uh, and that's something that the industry wants addressed. Mm. Odomara Walsh, uh, maybe uh, Chief Executive of ITIC, maybe you could expand on that point for us. First of all, where did you come up with the 60 million figure? Why 60 million? Well, 60, at, the mo- at the moment, about 25 million euro is spent each year uh, by Fort Ireland, which is the National Tourism Development Authority, on new tourism products and investments. So we're effectively looking for a doubling of it. Um, it's about 1% of the annual overseas earnings that tourism contributes to the Exchequer. So we think it's kind of a fair and proportionate amount. And I think the, the thing worth pointing out is that tourism is Ireland's largest indigenous sector. It employs, as, as Mark said, around 230,000 people right around the country. And it's one of the very few industries that can actually provide uh, real long-term sustainable regional jobs. 
And in that regard, more investment and more commitment from the Exchequer is needed in tourism product and tourism infrastructure so that we develop new things of international appeal and scale and that will appeal to overseas visitors so that Ireland will be a compelling place to visit into the future. Yeah. Of course, it could be argued that you're already, uh, the, the industry is already benefiting from substantial uh, state investment, isn't that right? Uh, both directly and indirectly. I mean, for example, the 9% uh, special VAT rate. Um, if you look at regional airports around the country, uh, many, if not all of them, are subvented in some way or other by the state, the likes of Knock and uh, Kerry and Donegal and so forth. Um, and also, we, we also have some uh, really splendid uh, state institutions which open their doors for free, like the National Gallery or the National Library. Sure. I mean, and I think, I think all those initiatives are very welcome and very important for, for an island uh, economy such as, such as Ireland, which is heavily dependent on, on overseas visitor and, and, and tourism. On, on the VAT rate, I mean, we'd argue that there's no cost to that. I mean, that's, that's a VAT rate that was brought in in 2011, as, as you and listeners well know, uh, to help stimulate demand. It brought Ireland in line with the rest of e, the EU countries, and it's worked very effectively. Well, um, just on that fact, point, actually, yeah. Owen, because uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but ICTU have put their own budget, pre-budget submission out today, uh, and they're calling for the 9% uh, VAT rate to be abolished. And it's not the first time they've called for that. They've called for it before. And their rationale is essentially that it's costing something like 600 million uh, euro a year, they say. And they say it's cost about 2.2 billion in foregone uh, revenue for the state since it was introduced. They, they would argue that hoteliers are uh, creaming it in. Um, and that staff, um, staff, a lot of staff in the sector just aren't being paid very well. Yeah, well, I, I think their argument is flawed, and it, it doesn't surprise me to a certain extent that it's in their budget submission because it, it, it's been uh, one of their tactics for quite some time. And it surprises me because, as I say, one in every nine jobs within the country are within tourism and hospitality. The sector has actually um, 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 created 57,000 jobs since the VAT rate was reduced. So it's so worked. It's very, so the, the, I mean, so this was supposed to be... A, the, this VAT rate was supposed to be a temporary measure, wasn't it? So, I mean, it could be argued that this has worked and uh, it should be unwound. And maybe we well, should be putting the focus onto housing. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember when the corporate tax rate of, of, of 12.5% was brought in, it was also a temporary measure, um, but it was seen to work. It was seen to be pro-business and, and, and a pro-economic initiative, and it's been kept, and rightly so, and rightly so, and the same could be applied to, to tourism. I mean, back in 2011, when the VAT rate was higher, um, the tourism economy returned 1.3 billion euro to the exchequer in terms of direct tourism-related uh, taxes. Last year, with the VAT rate at 9%, because of the growth in tourism and, and the fact that demand was stimulated, tourism uh, returned 1.9 billion euro to the exchequer. So it's good for the tourist who pays lower prices and gets better value for money. It's good for the exchequer that sees more, more money in the, in the mm. state till. And it's good for the industry who, who, who's, who's buoyant and able to employ people. So we'd be strongly of the view that it should be retained. It's a competitive measure. Okay. And particularly if you look at, at something like Brexit and, and particularly the currency challenge that Ireland is facing at the moment, yeah. a 20% swing between sterling and, and the euro Ireland is suddenly a more expensive destination for our biggest tourism market, that of Britain. And the idea of meddling with the VAT rate or putting up the VAT rate would be very detrimental. Well, let's take up this point about value for money. And I want to bring Mark in on this because Mark recently uh, wrote a story uh, on a, based on a, a Crow Horworth uh, study of hotel rates in Ireland. Are tourists getting better value for money now, Mark, than they were a few years ago? 
I suppose it depends on how you calculate that value. Look, uh, the tourists are still coming, so uh, you know it's not uh, it's not as if um, um, Ireland's high prices uh, is is blocking the back of the gates, as if as if you know they're all turning their backs on the country because they see Ireland as too expensive now. Um, hotel rates, which is which is the big cost that a tourist pays, obviously in Dublin they're rising very very sharply, fifteen percent a year, um, uh, and and you know that's and what's the experience around the rest of the country? Uh, it's 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 at about it's hotel rates last year increased at about half the rate of Dublin, so around about seven and a half eight percent on the western seaboard. That's quite frothy, isn't it? Yeah, well, even even and even with the success of the Wild Atlantic Way, they went up by about seven and a half percent there. And down in the southeast, uh, southwest, sorry, of the country, uh, your sort of your core, your West Cork and Kerry, which would be a big area for US tourists, um, it was up by they rose by about thirteen percent there. So costs are rising now, but look, I mean, the tourism industry is booming, um, and tourism is booming not just in Ireland. I mean, we've seen stories over the last number of weeks and months about, you know, in Barcelona and in other places, people are getting cranky with the amount of tourists that they have. Um, and the tourism industry globally is booming um, because the economies of the US has bounced back, the economy mm. of, of, of Britain has bounced back. Mind you, the numbers visiting Barcelona is a multiple of uh, the numbers that visit Ireland as a whole, so uh, it might be a, a great comparison. But nonetheless, in terms of, let's look at some of the wider issues uh, facing the industry. Now, uh, Owen mentioned there that, for example, Brexit uh, is a potential big hit and we've seen the number of UK visitors uh, fall this year. Perhaps no surprise because obviously they're getting less bang for their sterling nowadays. Um, but we're seeing numbers coming from continental Europe and North America rising. Yeah, the numbers from the US are up by about a fifth, um, whereas the numbers from the UK are down between 6 and 7% so far this year in the first seven months. That's pretty significant because British tourists account for 40% of the total. Um, and at the moment, um, um, increased numbers of, of US visitors mainly, but also increased numbers of European visitors are making up for that. But what happens if, if they stop? What happens if those numbers stop? I mean, I, I, I've, I've written in the past that, you know, all it would take, all it ever takes for the US outbound tourism industry um, to, to, to close in on itself is for the US to become involved in some sort of an armed conflict. It always happens. You could graph it um, um, and the correlation mm. between the two. And, and, and if the US becomes involved in some sort of a dispute over Korea, those numbers and that one-fifth mm. growth will dry up pretty quickly. Yeah, But we are getting record numbers of tourists uh, to the country. Owen, if the government was to grant your wish and give 60 million euro a year for investment in various uh, pieces of infrastructure, what would you like to see them spend the money on? Well, there's, there's big swathes of the country that aren't seeing the tourism boom at the moment. So, so Mark is right that, that Dublin, and it's reflected in the increase in hotel rates and so on, is doing particularly, particularly well. The Southwest is doing well. Parts of the Wild Atlantic Way are doing strongly. But there's huge swathes of the Midlands and the Northwest and parts of the Southeast which aren't seeing the same boom or the same uh, footfall or revenue spend as other parts of the country. And that's largely down to lack of products, lack of things of scale that, that have international appeal. And that's where we'd like to see the money allocated. Things like a, a, flag, a flagship attraction in the Northwest, things like the development of a, of a, of a Midlands identity to, to, to complement the Wild Atlantic Way, the idea of um, a convention centre or, a, or a, a, a gala dinner venue in Cork is, is a big gap in that product. And so there's a lots of sort of either an extension of the Wild Atlantic Way, interpretation, improved visitor facilities that, that could be done. And as I say, it, it's a relatively small amount of money within the state um, capital envelope. 
and it's for a uh, an industry that actually returns huge economic gains to the country in terms of taxes and in terms of employment. So oh, sure, yeah, but I mean, as, well as, as we know, there's very little wriggle room in the budget for Pascal Donoghue, the new Minister for Finance this year. I think he has about 300 million um, to, yeah. to spend, all told, when you add it up and add it down. And of course, there are pressures from all across uh, the, various and, sectors, from hospitals, from education, etc. For, for fully, money, so. fully understand that. And, and, and I suppose what, what we should say, and, and, and Mark did mention it, but that 60 million euro a year is what we think should be allocated to tourism within the 10-year capital plan which will be announced uh, by the government, I understand, later in, 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 the, in the autumn. In terms of the budget, in terms of the next 12 months, which, which obviously Pascal Donahue will announce in October, we're looking for €20 million Euro for tourism, which we think is vital for um, a Brexit fund, effectively uh, fighting and defending our market position in GB, but also crucially diversifying into new and developing markets. Um, and you know, without that, without that fund, we think tourism is massively exposed. Mar- Mark mentioned that 40% of all international visitors come from the British market, and um, that's down 6% year to date. If you extrapolate that over the 12 months and apply it to spend, we think it'll cost Irish tourism about 100 million euro. And remember, I go back to the, the central point that tourism is one of the very few industries that can provide jobs from Kerry through to Athlone, through yeah. to, to, to Mayo and Dublin. So it needs to be supported, particularly at this difficult time. Yeah, Mark, uh, one of the big successes, I, I suppose, of recent years in terms of visitor attractions has been the likes of the Guinness Storehouse, let's say, in Dublin and various uh, visitor centres to whiskey distilleries. And we've seen a lot of whiskey distilleries start to open up in recent years. Do you find it a bit depressing that uh, a lot of our success in terms of visitor attractions seems to be uh, centred around booze? I don't know whether I find it depressing or not, but what I, you know, the the drink industry itself has has complained that they think a lot of state investment could be made in a sort of a whiskey trail and that the state is reluctant to do it because they don't want to be seen to be glorifying Ireland's drinking heritage. I don't know, I wouldn't get too puritanical about it personally, but... Uh, and Tato Park is, is built around, you know, I mean, the, the name, uh, it's, it's a snack food, it's a it's a crisp, which it doesn't exactly enhance your health, put it that way. It's very tasty, but... No, 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 doesn't doesn't enhance your health. But I mean, look, does every uh, does every tourist attraction have to be uh, have to be built around clean and, 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 and perfect living? I don't know. I mean, people go on holidays to have fun, don't they? Yeah. Um, Owen, just uh, finally, in terms of this Brexit fighting fund, I mean, how serious an issue is Brexit for Ireland? Well, it, it, it's massive for Irish tourism. I mean, it's the biggest single challenge that Irish tourism has to face. And, and there's a, a short-term issue, which is all about the currency and the need for competitiveness that we've talked about. But there's nearly a bigger issue at play, which is, which, which is what will be in the terms of the new EU-UK deal. Because we have to remember that Brexit hasn't happened yet. It's due to happen in March 2019. Uh, what is in that new EU-UK deal is absolutely vital for Irish tourism. Things like the common travel area are critical and a soft border, things like a liberalised aviation re- regime, a sort of a harmony of regulatory standards across Northern Ireland and the Republic. All these sort of things are, are absolutely vital. I mean, if you, if you just think of the border issue, um, you know, the idea of a hard border and a restriction on the movement of people around the island of Ireland is completely uh, anathema to the tourism industry and would be very damaging. Equally, if the UK leaves the single market, which is, is what we all expect, it will leave the single aviation market. And the single aviation market has been one of the great successes of tourism over the last 25 years. It, it's meant that any UK airline can fly into anywhere else in Europe. 
and, and, and vice versa. Sure. But if suddenly the UK leaves the single market and leaves the single aviation market and there's no alternative in place, you could have a restriction on flights into Ireland from the UK or a quota on flights, which would be absolutely a retro, re- retrograde step for tourism. Sure. Now, a lot of the listeners uh, listening here, listening to the show, and there are many of them, I'm sure, uh, they, and there would be taxpayers as well, they'll say, well, a 20 million uh, Brexit fighting fund, uh, fair enough, um, but w- what's the industry doing to help itself? Well, the industry spends millions, millions and millions and millions promoting its own product and its own service to the overseas consumer. I mean, every time an Aer Lingus flight uh, lands in Dublin and is full or a Ryanair land, lands and is full, that's partly down to the fact that Ireland is promoted overseas by Tourism Ireland, but it's also predominantly down to the actual airline and the investment it's made in overseas markets and committing to those routes. So the, the, the industry is, 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 is working its socks off to keep the um, successes of recent times going. Um, and we take nothing for granted. And I suppose what we're saying is that the government can't take the, the sector for granted because it's too important. And something like Brexit is a major, major challenge. And only last month in July, we saw the first reverse in monthly figures in quite some time. So it's, it's a warning shot that the Brexit impact is real and material. And the, both the industry, but also the state and government really need to be focused and committed into the future. OK, Owen O'Mara Walsh and Mark Paul, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mark Paul, Onamara Walsh, Cliff Taylor and Seamus Coffey. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can download this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.